Today's shiur is Soita Daf Tes. Today's shiur begins about a third of the way down from the top. If you like, you can count 20 lines down from the top. In the middle of the line, you'll notice a posuk is quoted, Bisa Se'a Bishalcha Trivena. We left off in our previous shiur with three psukim that had relevance to the topic of measure for measure that we were discussing in the previous in our previous shiur and we left off with the, a question this particular posuk which was introduced initially as the source for mida keneged mida we came to the conclusion that another Pusuk really served that role. So the question then is, and we pick up with the Gemara, So what am I to learn from this Pusuk? The Gemara answers, I need it for his teaching. Before we go further in the Gemara, we have some structural notes to take care of. You see the double underline, this highlights Rav Chinano Bar Popa, and if you scan down the page, you'll see his name appears a number of times. We also have a uh, Nosei Mivne heading on the side of the Gemara, uh, where a diamond is featured. As you can see by scanning down the page, you see a number of these diamonds. Ein Hakodesh Nifra Ad Shas Shilucha. The Almighty brings retribution. We'll say at the final hour, Shas Shilucha, at the time that the uh, victim of the Kodesh Baruchus, we'll say wrath, uh, is is visited upon them. It's at the time that they, let's say, have filled their measure and are sent away from this world. Now this will have relevance. Number one, Uma, a nation. Number two, Melech, a king. Three, Adam, a person, an individual. Now the Gemara. So we said that the posuk b'sasa'ah is needed for Rav Chinenah's teaching. The Amr of Chinenah bar Papa, Ein HaKadosh Baruch Hu Nifra Min HaUmah The Almighty doesn't punish a nation Ad Shas Shilucha until it's time for elimination from the world has arrived. Shenemar b'sasa'ah b'shalcha In other words, when the measure is full, and retribution comes, Bishacha, it's the time that that nation is to be eliminated. The Gemara now raises a question, you'll see it's a long question, and after the long question, we end up with a second approach to Rav Chinano Bar Popa. And you can see, if you just skim down the Gemara where we've squiggle underline the expression Elo, I Itmar, Hochi Itmar. And we, get, we go on there to a second approach. The gist of this question is as follows. We just explained that the Almighty will let a nation continue and continue until its, it's, like its measure of sin is filled and it is to be eliminated. In other words, you don't have, according to this approach, a concept of interim punishments when it comes to the nations of the world. Later, we'll see with regard to the Jewish people, things are quite different, and uh, anyone who's even super, superficially familiar with history will, come, will quickly realize that, that the Jewish people, uh, down through the ages, are constantly uh, under some type of persecution. There are, of course, there are lulls in the persecution, but it rises again, and that 
uh, is the way the Almighty deals with the Jewish people, which in, a, in fact is the, their method of preservation. When, with, uh, with regard to the nations of the world, uh, it was just claimed that he, the Almighty deals with them differently and waits for their measure to be filled, and then he eliminates them completely, leaving no room for, we'll say, interim punishments. However, the Gemara in its question will, will, will show differently. So now we continue. Aini, is that so? The In the dream of the Sarah Mashkim, the uh, Pharaoh's butler in Sefer Bracious, who was in, in prison together with Yosef, there is the reference to Kois in the concept in the context of that Sarah Mashkim uh, repeated several times. So there are three references to kois, the cups. Achas shishosos made Moshe. One cup, we can say a cup of poison, if you will. Uh, they, the term kos hatar law you find ra'al is poison. Tar law the cup of poison. So one, they drank in the time of Moshe Rabbeinu, during the exodus of Mitzrayim, and the uh, the plagues, and the eventual drowning in the in the sea. Number two, v'achas shishosos bimei paro nechoi. And a second defeat that the uh, Egyptians suffered during paro the lame. Now, this was later in Jewish history, toward the latter part of the first Beis Hamigdash period, uh, under the uh, leadership of paro necho, that, that nation, Egypt, suffered a military defeat. And so that's a second of the three cups that the uh, Sar Hamashkim dreamed of. And number three, And the third cup, well, that's in the future when God will visit um, his retribution upon all the nations of the world and Egypt amongst them. Rashi says, In the times of Moshiach Almo, what we see from all of this is, We don't see that the Egyptians were eliminated in the first um, the first defeat, the fir- their first setback. Now that is uh, a problem for uh, for Rav Bar Papa uh, as he stands till now. And the Gemara though continues with the question: you might say, the nation of Egypt at the time of Moshe Rabbeinu, in fact, was eliminated completely. And the uh, the the future the reference to a future retribution for Mitzrayim that's a different nation that's a different peoples maybe occupying the same geographic area but it's not the original Mitzrayim of the time of Moshe Rabbeinu well that's not true though Vehatanya we have a Tanaic source and before we go further in the Tanaic source let us explain uh, give some background. There's certain nations of the world that have, we'll say, restrictions, limitations regarding conversion and marriage into the Jewish people. Without going through an exhaustive list of that, let's just focus on Egyptians. The, when the Torah was given, it uh, teaches that a, an Egyptian, a Mitzri, that converts to Judaism, we accept his conversion, but he cannot marry into the Jewish people. He can marry another converted Egyptian. The individual who converts from his Mitzri status to Judaism, he's called a Mitzri Rishon, a first generation 
convert from Mitzrayim. The children that he bears are called Mitzri Shemi, a second generation. They too cannot marry into the Jewish fold. A third generation, though, that's called a Mitzri Shlishi, they are allowed to marry into the Jewish people. Now, this is the Torah speaking, addressing the Egyptians of that time. And that uh, halacha, you will see manifest in this particular Tanaic source, many, many uh, hundreds, a couple, let's say a couple, uh, certainly over a thousand years after the giving of the Torah, down into the time of Rebbe Akiva. So that the Mitzrayim spoken of in the Torah are the same Mitzrayim that Rabbi Akiva had to deal with. So that you can't say that the original Mitzrayim, the original Egyptians are gone forever because when God smites the, uh, a nation of the world, he does it once and for all. Now, the source inside. In response to the suggestion that we that we read in the Gemara that Hanoch Azdu Vahani Achrini Ninu that the uh, original Egyptians are have really were eliminated and what what we find uh, in the, in the future is a reference to a, a different peoples. The Hatanya, my Rabbi Yehuda, Rabbi Yehuda tells us a story. Minyomin, this is a name. Minyomin Ger Hamitzri Hoyali Chaver Mitamide Rabbi Akiva. I had a friend from the students of Rabbi Akiva. Rabbi Yehuda was amongst the students of Rabbi Akiva. One of the students, his name was Minyomin, happened to be a convert from uh, the Egyptian people. Omar Minyomin Ger Hamitzri, and Minyomin said, Ani Mitzri Rishon. I am an original convert from uh, Egyptian status. Venosasi Mitris Rishona. And I married a female Egyptian who likewise converted to Judaism. When they bear a child, he says, Asi, I will marry Livni to my son, Mitris Shnia, a female with the same generational status as my son. In other words, a a girl whose parents were original Mitzri converts. She is a Mitzris Shnia. She's allowed to marry the Mitzri Shani. What will that lead to? ben beni, so that my grandchild will be a third generation and mutulavo bakohol, and able to marry in, into the Jewish fold. A regular Jewish girl. So what do we see? We see that the original Egyptians are the same Egyptians that we have in contemporary terms. And what do we notice? That those original Egyptians were smitten by the Almighty in the time of Moshe, and a second time in the time of Paro and eventually another time in the future. So what about Rav Bar Papa's teaching from the Pesach of to Rivena? Elo'i itmar hochi itmar. Rather, if we're to understand Rav Chinenu's teaching, it's as follows: Om Rav Chinenu Bar Papa, Ein Hakadosh Baruch Hu Nifra Min Hamelech Ad Shas Shilucho. A king is punished by the Almighty only when he has amassed his total uh, sin quantity beyond which the Almighty will not tolerate his existence. But up till that point, he will continue to flourish, to enjoy life. But when he is punished, he's punished in a permanent fashion. He's eliminated. 
Shinemar, based on this Pasuk, Bisasa, Bishalcha, Terivena. When the measure is filled, they are then sent away. They are eliminated. Amemar, Masni, Loha, Durav Bar Popo, Aho. Rav Amemar adopts the teaching of Rav Bar Popo, but bases it on the following verse. My Dichtiv. Kiani Hashem lo shonisi vatem b'neyankiv lo chlisem. That's the pasuk, and now it's explained. Ani Hashem lo shonisi. The word shonisi means a double time, like from the word sheni, to repeat something. So the Almighty says, "I am the Almighty, and I haven't repeated." What does that mean? Lo hikesi lo umo v'shonisi lo. I never uh, smote a nation and did such and did thusly a second time. Uh, I, at this point, I don't know um, if he means literally a nation. Of course, we had the question on that from the Sholosh Kosis of of uh, Mitzrayim. Maybe the references to a king of a nation. Be that as it may, uh, you can see the the idea that Rav Chinenah had been teaching featured over here that the Almighty he will smite once and not a second time because that one time represents a total elimination. The Atem lo However, when it comes to you, the children of Jacob, the Jewish people, you I have not eliminated in contrast to the nations of the world. And it's based on this that we can infer from the following posuk. It says, "Chitzai achale bom." This is a uh, a posuk that we would, you would say superficially looks like a posuk that is a curse uh, upon the Jewish people. My arrows achale bom. I will finish off all my arrows on them. However, note, "Chitzai kolin behein einon kolin." Yeah, my arrows get finished off, but they don't. In other words, the Almighty punishes the Jewish people, repeatedly punishes the Jewish people. But as we explained earlier, that actually is our biggest blessing. The way the Almighty deals with the Jewish people, and by the way, this is an, a theme that you find uh, featured in other Gemaras as well, that He never allows our measure of sin to get full, for, which, would, would, which would result in a total elimination. But rather, a little bit accumulates, and then he brings some type of persecution upon the Jewish people, atoning for their sins, and they start all over again. And that has gone on throughout Jewish history. So if anyone wonders what is the, the secret to the survival of the Jewish people, it's actually the way the Almighty deals with the Jewish people in contrast to the way he deals with the nations of the world. The Gomorrah continues... Uh, and, and just, just let me just add one point. And this this idea that the Jewish people are sometimes portrayed as a as the as the most persecuted people. Okay, that's if you look at it very superficially. But just to repeat ourselves, that is the Jewish people's single greatest gift that we're constantly persecuted, thereby guaranteeing our preservation. Well, we go back to the Gemara. Uh, the Almighty doesn't punish a person until his measure is filled. Shinemar bimlois sifko yetzer lo 
And uh, the Losifko, Rashi explains, Kol Ritzono, which I understand that a person might, he'll sin and satisfy his lust and, it, and again and again and again. And, but at a certain point, then the Tzorah comes. The Tzorah, that is, his, that is the, the individual's punishment. The Gemara continues. Dorash Rav Chinano Bar Popo. What is the meaning of the Posuk? Rananud Sadikim Bashem Laishoram Novo Silo. Praise of the righteous to Hashem and Laishoram to the straight ones Novo Sihila. Altikri Novo. Novo means is a lotion, an expression of not pleasant, pleasantness. Altikri Novo Tehila. Elo Nevei Tila. Nevei is a place of dwelling. So, what is the uh, the, uh, the the reference here to the dwellings? Ze Moshe v'David. This pasuk is a reference to Moshe Rabbeinu and David Hamelach Shelo Shaltu Seinayim B'Maaseim. The enemies of the Jewish people never uh, destroyed that which they constructed. David Dichtiv. The Pesach says, Tovu Ba'oret Shorel. Now, David HaMelech, Rashi explains, he didn't build the base Hamigdash, but he built a royal castle, or a royal home, and maybe we can refer to that as the city of David, and the Pesach in Echa says that the gates, and here, in the context of this Gemara, we're, we're referring to the, the gates of um, that which David Hamelech built, uh, Rashi says in Mitzudat Sion, he ir David ubeso. Those gates that he built, they sunk into the ground. When the enemies came to destroy Jerusalem, they didn't get their hands on that which David himself was responsible for building. Moshe, what's the reference to Moshe Rabbeinu? Diomamar Moshe Nivna Mikdash Rishon. Nignaz Oyol Moyed Kroshov, Krosov, Uvrichov, Amudov, Vadonov. When the Beis Hamigdosh was constructed, the permanent structure uh, built by Shlomo Amelech, at that point, that which Moshe Rabbeinu had built, namely the Mishkan, the portable Mishkan facility, that was, we'll say, folded up, so to speak, and put away permanently in, in, uh, in hiding. Nignaz is it's buried away. And the Gemara now asks, and the, well, the Gemara when it says Olamayid, it mentions the the kroshim, the uh, the beams, and all the other materials that make up the Mishkan, the cross of Bricha Vamuda Vadonov. Although those are different materials, uh, different um, parts of the Mishkan. Hecha, where was it put away? Where was it uh, stored away? Omar Avchista, Omar Avimi, Tachas Mechilos Shel Hecha. In the tunnels that are under the Hechal, the base Hamigdash. And of course, uh, being, we'll say, we'll say, stored away over there, so the, the enemies never got their hands on it. That which, of course, Moshe Rabbeinu constructed. Before we go further, we had, glance at the side, we have a new, say, topic heading. It reads, Soito Nochosh Ve'achirim. Soito, the uh, suspected woman, called the immoral woman and the nochosh, the original 
the original serpent in the time of Adam and Eve. The, no, he's referred to as the Nochash Hakadmoni from the Zman of Odom and Chava. The Achirim and others. There'll be quite a long list of others. Nosnu Einehem B'Masheino Shelohem. They were covetous of uh, things that were not theirs, and they ne- they never got that which they sought, and that which they have, they lost. The Gemara. And you'll note we have a Tanaic source that continues uh, till uh, Ahmed Bey's starting over here. Tonu Rabbanon Soita Nosteinabami She'eno Ro'ui La. The Sota woman cast her eyes of coveted, uh, uh, coveted someone that is not fit for her. She's a married, she's a married woman to Mr. A. She has no uh, right to be with any other man, and yet she sought that out. Mashibiksha lo nitanla, that which she sought out is not given to her. The halacha says that a um, a married woman who engages in in uh, illicit intimacy with another man, she is permanently permitted to that other man. And her own husband that she had is also is taken from her, meaning he too is rendered prohibited to her. He who gazes upon, who covets that which is not his, that which he seeks out is not given to him, and that which he has, is taken from him. A very, very powerful message that would do a great deal of good if we would take this to heart and live accordingly. The Gemara continues at the top of Omid Bey's. The diamond that you see here and a few lines later is explained on the side under the Mivne heading, the structural note. Dugmos nosophos, additional examples shall nosan enov for those that coveted other things. Vechain, the Gemara continues, Vechain motzinu benochash hakadmoini. We find similarly with the original serpent in the time of Olam and Chavo, shenosan enov b'masha eno roi lo. He sought out that which was not fit for him. Uh, Rashi reveals what he sought out, and that is, he sought out Chava, Adam's wife. And according to uh, oral tradition, and Rashi quotes this, he not only did he seek her out, but he had intimacy with her. Now, the, the uh, image of a serpent that we have today is, whether it's a reference to what the Gemara is talking to or not, I can't tell you, but one thing I can tell you is that the serpent at the time of Odom, Harishon, was an upright uh, creature, uh, not that which we're familiar with that slithers along on the ground. And it wanted to have Chava, uh, though she was made for Odom, and he had, this Nochash this, HaKadmoni uh, had intimacy with her, and Rashi quotes the Pasuk from Bracious Perik, Yud, Perik Gimel, Pasuk Yud Gimel, that uh, indicates that from the word, the Pasuk says, Hanochosh Hishiani, and that word Hishiani, which is in the Torah, is Eloshim Tashmish V'Nisuinhu, so that working with that, we understand the Nochosh is an example of someone who sought something else, someone someone else that's not fit for him. And the Gemara continues, Masha Bikesh Lo Nosnulo, that which he sought, he 
doesn't, he never got. And umash biyado not luhu mimenu. And that which he had, and we just mentioned that it, the the nachos used to walk upright. Uh, that was taken away from him, and hence we have the image of of, of a serpent, a nachos being a, a a creature that slithers along on the ground. That's not the way it originally was. Omar HaKodesh Baruch Now, we have a few lines of Gemara that uh, one can, let's say, understand by inferring from that which the Torah itself reveals in a curse fashion. In other words, by stating the curse, you can infer what would have been the non-cursed state. That sounds, I know, it sounds a little abstract. But before we go on in the Gemara, glance at the side. We've included a couple of verses from Bracious Perak Gimel. We want to look at Pasuk Yud Gimel and Pasuk Yud Dalet. Uh, Pasuk Yud Gimel we already made reference to, but let's read it anyway. Vayomer Hashem Elokim La'isha. The Almighty said to the woman in the, after the, the sin of eating the forbidden fruit, Mazos asis. You, uh, what is it that you did? The serpent hishiani, and as a result of the nochosh, I ate. Now, posuk yudalit. Vayomer Hashem elokim el hanochosh. The Almighty then approaches the nochosh. Ki asisazos, because you influenced the woman who influenced her husband to uh, eat from the forbidden fruit. Since you did that, you are to be the most cursed of all animals, whether domesticated or wild. You will slither along on your belly. Dirt will be your food. For the balance of your existence. We continue now back in our Gemara text. Omar HaKadosh Baruch Ani Omarti, I originally intended Yehi Melech al Kol Behemo Vachaya that you would be the king of creatures, the Achshav, and now Arur Atomikol Behemo Mikol Chayas Hasodeh, as we saw in Pesuk Yudal, you are now the most cursed. So that from the fact that the Almighty, that you see this in scriptural form, you are now cursed. We could infer that had he not behaved waywardly, he would have been the king of all creatures. Ani Omarti, the Gemara goes on, the Almighty says, I intended Yalech Bakoimazikufa that you were going to walk in an upright fashion, Achshav, and now Al Yelech, you will slither along on your belly. Ani Omarti, hey, I intended for you to partake of food that people partake of. Achshav, Afor Yochal. And now you are going to eat dirt. Who Omar heroic es haodom veeso es chavo? The nochosh said, "I'll kill Adam and I'll marry Chava Eve." Achshav, and now, and this is pasuk tesvav. We didn't read this before, but now what follows? Eva oshis bein cha uvein ho isha uvein zaracha uvein zara. The Almighty has made it such that there is always a contention between you and the woman and uh, your descendants and her descendants. Hence, uh, humanity has, we'll say, has a sense of uh, strife, of anguish with regard to uh, 
It's a conf- uh, confrontation uh, with snakes. motzinu, and we find the same phenomenon of those coveting that which is not theirs and end up losing everything. And we find this, and here we have a list of individuals. Rashi gives you more background. This source doesn't give us any background, but how we see this phenomenon in these individuals. Vechein motzinu, bekayin. Well, kayin. Uh, Rashi explains. We have to see this together on, the, on Rashi on the second line from the top at the end of the line. Kayan Nosan Einov Shenolda Im Hevel. Hevel was Kayan's brother, and these two individuals, Kayan and Hevel, when they were born, they were born each one with a twin sister. Noldu Imoi. In effect, uh, the, the, there were two twins born the Hainu Dichtiv Posuk says in Gracious Perek Dalet Posuk Beis it says Vatoisef Loledes Es Ochiv Es Hevel Shnei Esim Shnei Ribuyim the word Es that appears twice is a reference to in, in including another two so that Cain uh, desired the second twin as well the one that was born together with Hevel so we know, of course, that uh, that Cain uh, uh, didn't get what he wanted, and he also lost out a great deal. The next individual in the list is Korach. Korach, at the, in the time of Moshe Rabbeinu, he wanted the uh, the Kahuna. He wanted. He was challenging the priesthood that uh, Moshe Rabbeinu, uh, we'll say, um, uh, appointed Aaron. Of course, by the word of God, Korach was challenging that. And of course, we know what happened to him. He was absorbed into the ground. Obilam, he was covetous of money. He wanted the money of Bullock, and that's why he was. Uh, he, was, he cooperated with, with uh, Bullock Melech Mov to curse the Jewish people. He wanted, he wanted the money, and eventually he was killed in battle. And at, he was killed actually at the time that he sought out payment for uh, advice that he had given. So he wanted money, ended up getting killed while seeking the money. Vidoeg Doeg was a uh, an official at the time of. We'll say the early days of Dovan Amelech. He was an official working along with uh, King Shaul, Shaul Amelech, King Saul. He was jealous of David, and he ended up uh, dying uh, very young. And Vachitofel, he uh, had his ideas of of uh, assuming the monarchy, and he too uh, died very young. Died. They didn't even reach half age. Uh, a person lives 70 years old the Gemara in Sanhedrin reveals Rashi uh, hints to the Gemara there that they died at 33 34 years of age not even reaching 35 which would have been the halfway mark another individual Gehazi he was the butler the servant of the prophet Elisha he was covetous of the money that uh, Elisha gave up on or who forfeited money that he could have received and this Gehazi wanted that money so uh, again we're 
being very brief here, one is always encouraged to study the Tanakh, to learn uh, uh, the background for these Gemaras. So the Gehazi, he sort, sought out the money of Naaman, who was a general from the uh, neighboring uh, nation that, that received assistance through the prophet Elisha, and uh, he eventually uh, became a Mitzora, this Gehazi. The Absalom, and Absalom, he of course sought out the monarchy, rebelled against his father, King David, and he eventually was killed. Vadoniyahu, uh, he sought, he wanted, Rashi says he wanted Avishag, um, and he was killed. Avishag was the uh, let's say the uh, comfort woman that David Hamelech had in his uh, toward the end of his life, he sought her out, and uh, he was killed. The Uziyahu, uh, this is a a king who wanted to uh, enjoy the uh, the priesthood, the, being a high priest, a Kohen Gadol, and he ended up suffering uh, with Saras. Ve Homon. There isn't too much to elaborate on Haman, maybe a, 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 the ultimate example of someone who was desirous of, of uh, power and greed and whatever, and we know what happened to him. They sought out that which they was not for them. That which they sought out was not given to them, and that which they had, they lost. We go back to the Sota. The Mishnah said that Biyerech is Chilo Bavera. Her initial act of intimacy was assuming, of course, that the Sota was guilty. She started with her Yerech, her, her, her thighs. Uh, you can imagine that part of her anatomy. And then the, and then the, uh, the pleasure extended to her, her belly. And the Mishnah says, and when the punishment comes, it too starts with the Yerech and extends to her belly. Minor Hani Mili. What is the basis of this in the scriptures? If you think to base yourself on the following Pusuk. Now the following Pusuk, once again, is from the Parsha of Sota. And I think we mentioned at the beginning of our study of this Masechta that the Psukim are included in the back of this volume. It says in the, in the Pesach dealing with the curse of, that, she is, that she is cursed with. Notice the order. The uh, Almighty uh, will, will punish her that her her yerech, her, her thigh falls and her belly bloats. The hoxiv, but do we not have another pasuk that says vitzavsa bitna v'nafla yerecha? That means that when she, at, and that pasuk is when she actually drinks the water. First, her belly swells and then her thigh falls. So you see, the order is the opposite of what the Mishnah was claiming. Omar Abaye kilayit. When it comes to the curse, and the curse is the beginning of the punishment that the Mishnah was referring to, layit tchilo yerech v'hoder betin layit. First, the thigh is cursed, and then the belly. Umaya kibatki, the water, when it 
does its thing, the special sota waters that check her out, that reveal her uh, either innocence or guilt, when it does its thing, ki urchayubaki, it does the, we'll say, the, the revelation in the normal path that the water takes passing through the, uh, the human being's elementary canal. Beten Baresha, first it goes into the stomach, the Hodar Yerach, and then descends to the lower parts of the body, the area that's referred to as the Yerach, the thigh, where the uh, organs of elimination and intimacy are located. The Gemara asks, Beklola Nami Ksiv, but does it not say in the context of the curse, Latzboiz Beten Velanpil Yerech, that even in the curse you see a reference to belly first and then thigh, contrary to the order stated in the Mishnah. The Gemara says, no, this posuk, Latzboiz Beten Velanpil Yerech, is Hahul de Moidal La Koyen. This posuk is features features the the uh, Kohen uh, who's administering the water to the woman and he informs her that when the water takes effect it will take effect first on the belly and then the thigh uh, th- though the original curse was first thigh and then belly it's important for the Kohen to tell her that this is what's going to happen so as not to uh, create doubt or um, skepticism regarding the water. Let's take a look at the Rashi. Uh, just a, just in the, across from here, a line or two down, you see, in Rashi, that people would end up saying, the, the, the water didn't do like the order of the curse. And the punishment, the the suffering that she is now experiencing has nothing to do with the curse. So the Kohen says, listen, the curse, in the curse we state first the Yerech and then the Beten, and the water in its operational form, you should know the belly will expand first, and then the Yerech will, will suffer. And that way people understand that, uh, we'll, in, in, we'll say in a common uh, parlance, we would say the Kohen called the shots. He told us from beginning to end what is going to be. The curse is stated in its way for the reasons we've already said in the past, but and the effects will take place in the opposite order because of that's the way the water uh, operates. We continue now with a new Mishnah. On the side we have a topic heading in one word, Shimshon. Shimshon, a reference to the famous uh, biblical character, Shimshon Hagibor, who was a judge, he was a shofate uh, of the Jewish people at the time, we'll say a time period uh, following the uh, the death of Yehoshua uh, during the interim years that um, figure between the death of Yehoshua and eventually Shmuel Hanavi of the, during the time of Eliyahu Cohen and Shmuel Hanavi rising to the to their leadership position, which led into the um, the, the the period of kings, Shaul Hamelech, Dovan Hamelech, etc. So during that was that an interim time period, which uh, as they say follows the death of of uh, Yehoshua. For a period, uh, just to put things in perspective, the first temple was built 440 years 
after the Jewish people entered the land of Israel. And uh, King David had, had reigned for a period of 40 years uh, prior to the construction. So you would be able to say that King David started his realm 400 years after they entered the land of Israel. And then for a couple years before that, uh, you have to figure the reign of uh, King Saul, about three years, and then the, the time that uh, Shmuel Hanovi was at the helm, pushing you back another uh, number of years, so that you're dealing with a period of time that's uh, approximately a, a time period after the time of Yoshua, for another, uh, say, 300 years approximately, during, which counts as the time of the judges. And during that time, we have uh, Shimshon. Uh, I recommend, uh, being that this sukya of Shimshon is a rather, it's a long discussion focused on him, lasting till Taf Yudamalaf, the next Omid of Gemara, uh, one will benefit greatly by going through the psukim in Sefer Shoiftim. Uh, the the psukim actually the 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 chapters thirteen through sixteen inclusive, which in, which uh, encompasses the entire story involving Shimshon. The uh, Mishnah says, and maybe I, I just want to uh, share a, a personal uh, emotion with uh, each one of you who are listening to this year. Uh, I approach this uh, sugi with a great amount of trepidation, fear, and uh, uh, and a, a great amount of reservation. Uh, figures in Tanakh, and we can make a general statement, uh, they're not our friends. They're not our buddies. These are people, uh, the, uh, the tzaddikim, certainly that are, that are featured in the Tanakh, uh, are, are people, let's say, uh, otherworldly as far as we're concerned. It's, it's difficult enough for us to relate to our own great rabbinic figures in our own generation, and, and needless to say, uh, great figures in generations ago, and all the more so figures that you see in the Tanakh. When you read the Psukim in a translation, at a translation level, which is, uh, has a, potentially a great amount of, of danger uh, for one who does thusly, who simply reads the uh, the the Bible, the Tanakh, and translates things and a superficial translation and goes on, you will get the the most distorted impression of these great people that one could possibly uh, ev- possibly imagine. Uh, in the case of Shimshon, one has to realize, uh, though he was not classified as a prophet, he is described as an as as the the ultimate righteous individual. At the same time, we're going to see descriptions of his uh, following his eyes, pursuing intimacy with women. It's, it's hard to know where to begin. You know, on the one hand, state is a high level of righteousness, and then to see descriptions of him uh, like that. So, I make this disclaimer and emphatically warn each individual not to uh, settle with the, as I say, the superficial translation, certainly not of the Psukim, and even not of the Gemara. However, in the, with, the, with that 
lengthy disclaimer and expression of, of fear and my great concern not to not to uh, besmirch and, and not to uh, tarnish in any way the the memory and the spirit of, of Shimshon Hagibor will proceed with the Gemara bearing in mind again and again uh, to get the the true picture you have to study the the Midrashim and uh, and Sforim great works of of commentary that delve into the depths of these matters. Uh, the, the furthest thing from the truth could would, would be reading uh, the Bible as Bible stories and thinking that uh, they're no different than us. Now, let's take it away in the Gemara. The Mishnah says, we've double underlined for highlighting purposes Shimshon and later Avsholem. Today, the balance of today's shir will be focusing on Shimshon. Shimshon holach achar enov. Shimshon followed his eyes. Uh, the Gemara will explain that uh, more, in a more lengthy fashion. And, there, and as a result of that, measure for measure, so the, the Philistines gouged out his eyes. Shinemar, at the end of Shimshon's life, uh, it, and as you see, you can see this is in Perak Tezayin, it's the last of the uh, four prokim that are dedicated to the four chapters that are dedicated to Shimshon. It says that the the uh, Philistines, and after uh, he lost his um, divine strength, they grabbed him, and they gouged out his eyes, leaving him blind. Avshalom Nizgoy Besairo. Avshalom was proud, was haughty. Uh, in his hair, Avshalom was a uh, was a Nazarite, just like uh, Shimshon, a different type of Nazirus. For those who studied Se- uh, Maseches Nazir, the previous Gemara that we learned, but uh, Avshalom uh, uh, he flouted his hair. Lafikoch nit Eventually, he uh, died by his hair catching in the branches of a tree and is dangling from there, and he was killed there. And since he had intimacy with ten of his father, and the father of Avshalom is Dovan Amelech, ten of Dovan Amelech's concubines, he was speared by ten spears piercing him. So you have ten spear bearers. Uh, that were carrying the arms of Yoav, who was the uh, general of King David's uh, military, and they smote uh, Avshalom. Lefishigonav Gimel Levovos, there's a girsa on the side of Levovos, and since he stole three hearts, who did he, let's say, mislead? We say steal hearts, what's a reference to misleading Lev Oviv, the heart of his father, the Lev Bazdin, Valev Yisrael. Rashi elaborates on this. Uh, you can see further information there. And since he did that, Lefikoch Nisker'u Bo Gimel Shvotim. There were uh, three Shvotim. Uh, Shvotim, another type of uh, arms, like lance. Uh, he was pierced with three of them through his heart. Shenemar, Vayikach Yoiv Shloisha Shvotim Bechapoi, Vayiskaim Balev Avshalom. He took these three Shvotim and pierced the heart of Avshalom. So we see, the once again, the, the concept of measure for measure in a very 
precise fashion. And likewise, the concept of measure for measure appears when it comes to the good, when it comes to blessing. Miriam Himtino We know that the sister of Moshe Rabbeinu in the we'll say the storyline that you see in the beginning of Sefer Shmois, she waited for him uh, by the water in the, when the uh, when their mother Yocheved placed the uh, infant Moshe into the the reed basket placed into the water. She waited there for a shoach, a short amount of time, relatively speaking. Shnemar and his sister, that's Miriam, stood from the distance to see what was going to be. Later, in the uh, Exodus from uh, Mitzrayim, the uh, Jewish people uh, paused their journey. In other words, the journey of the Jewish people through the desert took a pause for seven days. Uh, when Miriam suffered tsaras, and she required uh, the seven days till they uh, she could come back into the camp, and they waited for her. Shinemar v'om lo nosa ad Miriam, and the nation did not travel until Miriam was gathered in. Yosef zocha likbar es oviv v'es Yosef merited. Uh, bearing as Ovid, his father, Yankivovinu. Of course, if you're familiar with the accounts at the end of Sefer Bracious, you will be quite familiar with that. There was amongst all the uh, the uh, tribes, uh, the other, all the brothers. Well, he was basically a king, so there was no one greater than him. Posik reveals to us that Yosef oversaw the burial of his father, and there went along with him um, chariots and horsemen. Who was as great as Yosef that merited none other than Moshe Rabbeinu responsible overseeing his Yosef's um, we'll say burial, certainly the transport of his remains. Moshe Zohob Atzmos Yosef. Moshe merited dealing with the remains of Yosef. And there was no one greater than Moshe in the Jewish people. And you see in this Pesach that Moshe Rabbeinu was the one that tended to the remains of Yosef. And who is greater than Moshe that had none other than the Almighty himself overseeing his Moshe Rabbeinu's burial. As the Pesach says that he, the Almighty, uh, buried him Bagai, the location of Moshe's grave. Loi al Moshe Bilvan Omru. This description isn't stated regarding Moshe alone. Elo al Kol Hasadikim, but referring to all the righteous. Shenema veholach lefanecha tzidkecha. Kvod Hashem yasvecha. The one who practices a life of righteousness, the honor of the Almighty will gather them. In. And we now pick up the Gemara, and as we said, the balance of today's shear is focusing on Shimshon. We're going to, for we'll say, for for uh, as a result of time restrictions and and our own uh, self-imposed limitations, we're going to be primarily translating the Gemara, but basing ourselves on our disclaimer from the beginning of this section and our. 
uh, our expressions of fear and trepidation not to tarnish in any way in any in the slightest way the memory of Shimshon there's a concept that those who are students of Torah uh, understand and that is the Torah when it features the righteous and it speaks about we'll call it their shortcomings or their sins basically you can you can imagine that these are their only sins in other words you're dealing with individuals that were so uh, so f- way above so far beyond our concept of uh, of humanity that basically they were p- almost sin free except for that which we might mention so if you look at things in that perspective, okay, we're going to be scrutinizing and analyzing maybe their only sin. Well, of course, that would do a great deal of justice to the memory of these figures. So let's take that approach and we're going to speak about Shimshon and maybe his, 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 his only sin, maybe as of that which is by Shimshon, a few sins. The rest of his life was was pristine and uh, and righteous. So uh, we continue. Shimshon be'enov morad. Uh, Shimshon, through his eyes, he uh, he acted in a uh, rebellious fashion against the Almighty. And when we say a rebellious fashion, let me assure you that any time a person sins, he is in effect acting. Uh, certainly if he does so knowingly he's acting in a rebellious fashion against the Almighty so don't think for one second that we're describing Shimshon as some kind of uh, major Jewish rebel against the Almighty far from the truth rather it's an expression of sinfulness so the, the Shimshon sinned uh, in the area of his eyes Shinemar, and when we speak about the area of his eyes it means he was looking upon a uh, woman looking upon women uh, and uh, and that is something that is uh, to be certainly to be avoided. Shimshon told his father regarding a uh, particular Philistine woman. He said, I want you to arrange for her uh, conversion and that I should be able to take her and marry her because she is Yoshra uh, Bienai, she's fitting in my eyes. In other words, I, my eyes are um, directing me toward her. Well, that's not the best way to uh, pursue a, a woman just through your eyes. Lefikoch Nikru Plishtim Esenov. Therefore, the Philistines gouged out his eyes. Shenema Vayachazu Plishtim Vayenakru Esenov. They uh, grabbed hold upon him toward the end of his life and they blinded him. Amy, is that so that that uh, Shimshon followed his eyes? Shimshon's father and mother they did not know that his uh, we'll say his uh, attraction to the woman was uh, from the Almighty. The Rashi says he developed a desire for that particular woman. Uh, because Hashem put that desire in his heart, uh, and and the reason for that was Kedele his garos beplishtim. We didn't mention earlier, but during the this time in Jewish history, the Philistines 
had the upper hand. They were in control. They ruled over the Jewish people. And he, Shimshon, wanted to uh, change that situation. He wanted to uh, fight against them. And he had a plan. And the plan was to be able to, let's say, create a, um, uh, a basis for retaliating against them. And that was through the, a scheme involving his taking of the woman. Of course, I said before, learn the details by looking at the storyline in the Tanakh. But how can you say that he simply followed his eyes? He was, you describe him as a person who was like, uh, uh, was gazing upon women and he chose this particular woman. He wasn't a woman gazer. It was Hashem putting this in his heart. The Gemara says that is true. However, ki ozal miha boser yashrus of ozal. When he, let's say, put, put the plan into action, it was based on uh, a, a desire that was uh, governed by his eyes. So you have a, some a very fine line over here about a say a, a basic we'll say attraction that was divinely ordained, but when it came to uh, Shimshon's uh, um, executing the plan, he was following his eyes. Tanya, Rabbi Oimer, Tchilas Kilkula Ba'aza, Lafikach Loka Ba'aza. The uh, the start of his uh, his degeneration was in Azah, and therefore he was smitten in Azah. And therefore his uh, initial, we'll say, degeneration started in Azah. Azah, the the, uh, well-known Philistine city. The, the beginning of his degeneration in Azo, as it says, Vayelich Shimshon Azosa, Vayar Shom Isha Zoyna. Shimshon went to Azo and he saw there an Isha Zona. The word Zona is frequently translated as a uh, harlot. It also, in commentaries, you can see an alternative meaning. She was from the word Mozon, a woman that would support someone, being that she's an innkeeper. Well, anyway, he he went there and he he uh, sought her out. Lefikoch lokav azah, and therefore he was smitten in azah. Dechtiva yoridu oisoi azosa, and he was brought down to azah uh, for his eventual uh, demise. This uh, pasuk is from Shoftim Perik Tezayin Pasuk Chof Aleph. The Gemara asks, "Vahaksi vayered Shimshon Timnasa." Does it not say that he went down to Timna? That's a, another location. Now Rashi says, uh, He went to a, a community called Timna. He saw a woman there and that he was uh, from the Philistine women and he uh, desired her. That incident, that's you can see is in Perik Yudalid, that precedes the uh, the Azo incident. The Gemara responds, Tchilas Kilkulo Miha Ba'aza Hoya. The beginning of his degeneration, though. What, what's the difference? So we took a look in Rashi. Tchilas Kilkulo Miha Ba'aza Hove. Tahid the Timnas, the woman that he sought out in Timna, Lav Kilkul Hu Kule Hai. That doesn't represent a uh, an act of degeneration so much. 
there is a, that in that case he converted her and he took her as a wife and he didn't have intimacy with her in a harlotry fashion. That is as far as Timna is concerned, the, the the woman that he found and he took in Timna. However, the woman that he went to in Azo, there it seems that he had intimacy with her in a, in a non uh, conversion a marital context, but rather in a uh, say a harlotrous relationship. The Gemara goes on. Vayi achrechein vayav isha benachal sarek ushma dalila. This, if you, if I'm not mistaken, when you look at the at the psukim, this would be the third woman in the with the Shimshon story. He went to a place called Nachal Sorek and he met up with a woman known as Delilah. She's uh, very well known, uh, maybe by the name Delilah. Uh, Tanya, Rebbe Omer, Ilmole Nikroshma Delilah. If her name, if she wasn't called that, Ruyahaisa Shetikra. Dalila, by her actions, she there would have been no more fitting name than Dalila for that woman. The word Dalila has to do with to lower something or to uh, um, weaken something. The word Dalila, you can see the word Dali is a pale. It could be the word Dal, meaning impoverished. Uh, indicating something that is that's associated with weakening something else. How does that figure here with Shimshon? Dildala as Kaychay, Dildala as Libay, Dildala as Maisav. And the Gemara now goes over these points. Dildala as Kaychay, she weakened his strength. Uh, as a result of uh, of uh, Shimshon's revealing to her his source of divine strength, she was responsible for the uh, shaving of his head, which uh, caused the divine strength to depart from him. And that's what this pasuk says: that his strength departed from him in uh, in his company with Dalila. So here's Dildala lowering, weakening him. Dildala Libo. Uh, she uh, caused his heart to weaken. Delilah understood that he had revealed to her everything on his heart. Up till that point, uh, Shimshon was steadfast in maintaining the secrecy of his divine strength, his Nazirus um, observance, including the non-cutting of hair. The, the his um, he was weakened in terms of um, uh, his let's say his his connection with the with with the Almighty. the Almighty, the divine presence departed from him. Hashem He he wasn't aware that the Almighty departed from him, that left him, distanced himself from him. The pasuk. Said we quoted this uh, just uh, the line above. But she saw that he had said everything on his heart, meaning that she, that at, at this point, if you go over the story there, you see that there was a, a number of times that uh, Shimshon misled Delilah, not revealing the truth. But at a certain point, um, she understood. Now he is yes. 
telling the truth. Minoyada, how did she know that this time he's telling the truth in the previous, in the previous uh, things that he had said to her, she uh, was not aware of it. Omar Rav Chonin, Omar Rav Nikorin Divrei Emes. The truth is recognizable. The uh, Rashi says Nikorin Divrei Emes Miskablin Umiyushovin Diburim Al Ofanehem. The words of truth, they will say they uh, they come out in a smooth, uh, reliable fashion. She saw that he had ex- ex- extraordinarily long hair. He never drank wine. And she understood that the last things that he was saying to her, the fact that he was a nozir, uh, that it was in this area, through this um, means, that his strength was in fact so great. That's Nikorin Divramas. The words of truth are truly recognizable. Number two, Abaye Omar. Abaye explains how did she know that at this point in the storyline, when he told her that his strength was through his hair, how did she know that now he was telling the truth? Yada Bo, Boiso Tzadik, she knew that that Tzadik, and here you have the Gemara. Uh, revealing all that we said earlier, he was a righteous individual. She knew that that tzaddik, the lomapik shein shomayim levatola, that he would not use the name of God for naught in a in a scam or in a trick or in a lie. If he's using the name of God in his statement, it must be a truthful statement. Cave on the Omar, since he said nazir elakimani. We dashed underlined the main word. Well, he says, I'm, I'm a nozir of the Almighty. Omra, she understood hashtavadai kushta komar. Now, he is certainly, kushta means truth. Now, the tr- he is certainly telling the truth. The Posik says, Vatehi kihitsikolo bidvorel kohayomim vataltsehu. My vataltsehu. What is the meaning of that word, vataltsehu? So, Omar. Rabbi Yitzchok Debei Rabbi Ami. Uh, you notice a uh, marking here on the side under the Mivneh heading. We indicate that this is going to be used to highlight the appearance of this particular name. Rabbi Yitzchok of the Yeshiva Rabbi Ami. There are a number of statements that he makes in the next few lines. So we highlight it as a series. So uh, the question was, what does Vitaltseu mean? So Rabbi Yitzchok Debei Rebbe Ami, he tells us, Bishas Kemar Bia Nishmita Mitachtov. Shimshon uh, was engaged in an act of intimacy with her. And at the at the point of, we'll say, maximum, uh, we'll say, uh, pleasure that one, that a man derives uh, from uh, that particular act at the time of was a consummation of the act of intimacy, so she slipped out uh, from under him, uh, which of course would be a source of uh, of, of pain, of uh, frustration to the man. Pasuk says, hishomri no." Now, this pasuk you'll note is a reverts back to the beginning of the Shimshon story. Here we're going back. Back to the beginning, the Emperor Yud Gimel. Here, the uh, mother of Shimshon is being spoken to by an angel of God and says, Yayin, Vishekhar, Vial Toichli Kol Tomei. 
He says, be careful, do not consume wine or other intoxicating uh, types of uh, wine beverages, and do not consume tome. My kol tome. What does that mean, that she shouldn't eat anything that's defiled? And, and up till now, she was in the practice of eating defiled things. Omar Rabbi Yitzchok, the Bey Rabbi Ami. The word tome in this pasuk means dvorim asurim ben nazir. Those items that are prohibited for a nazir to eat. A nazir is not allowed to eat products of the grape vine. So she, the mother of Shimshon, who was going to bear Shimshon, and in bearing him, he was going to be what they call a nazir mibeten. From upon birth, he was going to already be a nazir. So she was instructed to observe these restrictions. The Pasuk says, uh, go, now going forward in time to Shimshon, Vayavaka alikim esamachtesh asher balechi. Uh, the word machtesh is a reference to the the cavity in which a tooth uh, develops, and here we're talking about the uh, the jaw of a uh, of a donkey. And in this particular story, uh, Shimshon was uh, was uh, struck with uh, with the thirst, and uh, water uh, appeared in this. Uh, this tooth cavity of a donkey uh, which Shimshon was able to survive through the water that was uh, found in the this tooth cavity of the donkey jaw so after after reading the Pasuk Omer Rabbi Yisuk Debei Rabbi Ami Hu Iva Ledover Tomei Iva from the word Ta'ava means desired he Shimshon desired Dover Tomei something that is that is uh, profane, something that is defiled. The um, Rashi explains that Lisa Bas El Nechor, he wanted to marry a heathen woman. He was desirous of, of being with a heathen woman. And Lefikoch Nitlu Chayov Bedover Tome. Therefore, his life was made dependent on a Dover Tome. That's a reference to the donkeys, a dover tummy, a forbidden animal. It's not a kosher variety animal. So his life was dependent on that donkey jaw in which he found the water, which otherwise he would have died from thirst. Another example of this type of measure for measure. The Pasuk says, now going back to the early uh, section of the Shimshon story, Perak Yudimel Pasuk of Hey. It says, "Vatochel ruach Hashem lefa'amoi b'machne don bein tziro bein eshtaol." Now, in this pasuk, you see a reference to ruach Hashem. Ruach Hashem often is a reference to the, to prophecy, but we don't find Shimshon being a prophet. So, the pasuk translated would be that the the Spirit of God started to emerge uh, within him uh, in the the, uh, the tribe of Dan between these uh, locations, Sir and Eshtol. But the issue that we have to deal with is that Shimshon himself didn't have Ruach Hashem, the spirit of prophecy upon him. So what do we make of this Pasuk? Omer Chamo Bar Chanino. Chosa means there was fulfillment. The prophecy of Yankiv Avinu uh, was fulfilled 
here with the birth, with the development of Shimshon. Dichtiv. The Pasuk says, now we're going to make note before we read the Pasuk of the, uh, that's quoted here in the Gemara, which is Pasuk Yudzayin. Let us read Pasuk Tesayin, which appears just before. This is from Parshas Vayechi, the end of Sefer Bereshis. We know that at the end of his life, Yankiv Ovinu uh, gathered his sons together and uh, we'll say blessed his sons and in that section one of the sons of Yankee Bovina was Don, the, the tribe of Dan and the Pusuk says and let's read first Pusuk Tesai and it says Don Yodin Amo Keechod Shiftei Yisrael from the tribe of Dan there will be uh, a judge he will be a judge Yodin Amo is to judge his people uh, and then we continue reading the pasuk featured in the Torah. Uh, that's pasuk Yud Zion from Yankee Vovinu, and as we described, it's Yankee Vovinu's prophecy. So that with the emergence of Shimshon, who was from the tribe of Don, we see the fulfillment of Yankee Vovinu's prophecy. The reason I cited pasuk Tesayin is well, that pasuk makes reference to someone from the tribe of Dan serving as a judge. Well, that's what Shimshon was. And Posuk Yudzayin makes reference to Yehidon Nochosh. The Marsha mentions that in the Midrash on Sefer Bracious and Bracious Rabbah there is a, an elaboration uh, concerning the comparison between Shimshon and a Nochosh. If you want to assume that a Nochosh means a serpent or a snake, there's a parallel in terms of characteristics between Shimshon and that creature. And this is all something that was, let's say, foretold uh, by Yankiv in his prophetic words. The Pasuk says, the, uh, the Pasuk that we just, we just read, uh, Perik Yud Gimel, Pasuk Chofhei, so, and, and uh, we had written that in between the lines here, the Gemara focuses on that, Lefa'amoy b'machne don. What does that mean? Amar Rabbi Yitzchok debei Rabbi Ami. Malamei shoyso shchino mekashkeshes lefonov kizug. We learn from here that the shchino, the divine presence, used to uh, used to accompany him, Shimshon, wherever he went. Now we will give you a literal translation. Mekashkeshes lefonov means it would it would ring like a bell. A zug is a bell. You might remember that from Maseches Nazir, where the Gemara was interpreting the Psukim in the Chumash, dealing with Mechatzanim v'yad Zag. Zag is a, in this case, it's a reference to a bell. And um, how do we know that? Ksiv hocha lefa'amoy b'machne don. That's the Pesach we are, we were analyzing. Uksiv hasam, and in the context of the clothing of the Kohen Godol, it says pa'amoyin you see the word pamon is very similar to the word lefamo, and hence, just like a pamon is a bell that rings, so too Shimshon had the merit of the divine presence uh, uh, accompanying him, ringing in front of him. The Gomorrah goes on. The Posuk had said, and we had written this in as well above, Bain Siro Ubain Eshtaol. We referred to them before as place locations, but here the Gemara explains, Omar Avasi, Tzir and Eshtol were actually two large mountains. 
Okron, Shimshon, Vetochnon, Zeh, Bozeh. He uprooted these mountains and, and, and ground one into the other. There is uh, no comment made by Rashi on this, and what the significance of this is, is something that one would really have to look into further. But certainly, an exhibition of, of enormous strength, that certainly can be said. A, uh, the Pesach says, V'hu yochel es Yisrael. Again, this is from the uh, beginning of Sefer, of, of the story of Shimshon, uh, Perak Yud Gimel Pesach. Hey, Omar, Rebbe, Chamo, Rebbe, Chanina. What does V'hu yochel es Yisrael mean for us? We're not, and here we're not translating it literally, but we're looking at the word yochel, uh, the Gemara continues at the top of Daf Yud. Huchal. Maybe you're familiar with the Pasuk, Lo Yachel Devoro, that a person who vows, who swears, shall not violate his oath. The word Huchal, like the word Hulin, mundane, uh, or something that's profaned, that's what this is a reference to. Now the Pusik itself we said we didn't give a literal definition to but the Pusik is essentially the uh, if I'm not mistaken it was the the, the uh, Malach the angel of God that appeared to uh, Shimshon's mother informing her that he will he will start to save Israel but now in order for Shimshon to save Israel that means he's going to have to serve as a leader and to save Israel from whom? From the Philistines, from the Plishtim. The Plishtim at that time, as we mentioned earlier, were in control. They had the upper hand ruling over the Jewish people. It's also noteworthy that the Philistines were descendants from Avimelech. Avimelech was a king of the Plishtim at the time of Avram Avinu. Avram Avinu and Avimelech had entered a treaty, a common understanding that one would not oppress the other. It takes two to tango, it takes two to make a treaty, a treaty is two ways. The Jewish people were for many years, were we'll say their hands were tied, they couldn't war against the Plishtim because of that old treaty. But it, for a treaty to be, we'll say, sacrosanct, the other party would also have to abide by its terms. But here we reach the point that the Philistines uh, ruled harshly over the Jewish people. So that's what the word Vayachel means. Huchal Shvuoso. We're reading at the top line of Dafyud. Huchal Shvuoso Shel Avimelech. There was a, uh, a voidance, a, um, a dissolution uh, of the, of the uh, treaty. That um, or the, the oath that Avimelech had made to Avram. So they, the Philistines, in the time of Shimshon, they were the first ones to violate the treaty, uh, which here the Gemara gives you the origin of that treaty. That is the treaty of Avimelech with Avram, that they will not deal falsely, they will not deal uh, in evil, one toward the other. The Apostle says, again referring to, maybe just to go over the last point, we just to tie things up, since 
the the um, uh, the Philistines were the first ones to abrogate the treaty. So the pasuk that said "Vu Yochel Yisrael" that gives license now to Shimshon to rise as a leader and to fight back the Philistines. Even though there, yes, there had been once an old treaty made with their forebear, an our forebear Avram, but they, as Rashi says on the top line in the middle, Fishaim Avru Al they were the first ones to abrogate the treaty. The Gemara continues, Vayigdal Hanar Vayevarcheu Hashem, and the young man, the young Shimshon, uh, grew and he was blessed by Hashem. What was what was what aspect of Shimshon do we see a manifestation of this of this uh, blessing? The word bracha uh, is explained by Rashi. It's a word that's so common, and yet few uh, may have maybe clarity on what the word bracha means. But it's translated, of course, as, as blessing. But look at Rashi on the top line. Bamer bercho. Called bracha shebemikra, the word bracha, where you find it in the scriptures, loshon ribui hu. It's an expression meaning increase. Dovah marbe umotsui bo sova. It's something that represents increase and satisfaction. Uma bracha nimsobo. What bracha, with that definition in mind, we find by Shimshon. Lomotsinu osheb Shimshon. We don't see wealth in his case. So the Gemara says as follows. Omar Rabbi Yudah Marav. The word amo is a reference to the male organ of gender. It's uh, through that particular um, um, aspect of, of the male anatomy through which procreation takes place. And the, the uh, fluid that emanates from that, that part of the male anatomy for procreational purposes is called, by the, in Hebrew, is called zera, literally seed with, of course, its uh, procreational uh, connotation. So now, the Rashi on the... Uh, well, first, we'll read the Gemara. It says that he was blessed in that part of his body. He, it appeared normal. There was nothing unusual uh, uh, if you were to notice that part of Shimshon. However, his seed came out with a force like a, like a swift stream. Now Rashi adds, Again, we say this with a certain uh, amount of reservation, but here we'll just translate what Rashi says, and is it that which he had desire for, so it's in that that he was blessed. Let's continue in the Gemara. Vayikro Shimshon el Hashem Vayomar. Now this notice, this is from Perek Tezayin, Posel Chavches, this is toward the end of his life, when he's uh, in the Philistine temple, he's blinded, and he's, um, uh, he's positioned between two pillars, and there were, there were thousands of Philistines watching the, the, uh, the, uh, the degradation that they were doing to Shimshon at this point. And Shimshon called out to the Almighty and he said, Hashem Elohim Zochreini no, Vechazkeini no achapam azeh, remember me, give me strength just this one time, this one last time, Vinokmonikamachas mishteenai miplishtim, and I will take revenge for one of the two, one of my two eyes that they gouged out. Omar Rav, Rav explains, Omar Shimshon Lefei Kodesh Bochum, 
Ribbonu Shalom, Zachorli Esrim Shana Sheshav Fatati Es Yisrael. Remember, I judged, I led the Jewish people for 20 years. And I never sought even the slightest form of assistance from anybody. I never asked anyone to, to carry even my staff from one place to another. Here's something that's, in my opinion, is very revealing. You find this not only here, you find it by Moshe Rabbeinu, you find it by Shmuel Hanovi, this idea of a, of a leader being self-sufficient and not reliant on others for favors and the like. And apparently, by, if you put the, create a, let's say a larger picture, it would appear then, and here it certainly seems the focus of attention, that this is a sign of, of piety, of, of loftiness, something that appeals to the Almighty that a person doesn't depend, he doesn't rely on others. And, uh, of course, through at, at this point, this prayer, as everyone knows, uh, was answered. The uh, Posuk says, and here we're going, we're not, we're not going in order, we're going now back to Perek Tes, Vav Posuk Dalid, Vayelech Shimshon Vayilkoj Shlosh Meos Shualim, in uh, one of uh, Shimshon's plans, uh, one of his, I don't know if the word antic would be a, a, a proper description, but one of his schemes, that's a better word, uh, in one of his schemes, what the Shimshon did is he, he captured 300 Shualim. Shualim is often translated as a fox. He tied their tails together, he put torches between them, and they burnt a great amount of Philistine property. Maishno Shualim, what's the significance of that particular animal? Omar Rabbi Evo Bar Nagdi, Omar Rabbi Barabo, he explains, Omar Shimshon, that Shimshon said thusly, he figured thusly, Yavo Shu'ol, the nature of a Shu'ol. I'm going to take my chances, even though in Gemara markings we don't like to translate um, things from the uh, animal or plant kingdom too much, uh, assuming that it's a fox. The, the nature of this creature, the Shu'al, is that when it's threatened, it doesn't simply run a, a quick escape route. What it does is it backtracks on where it had come from. So it, the concept of backtracking is what we want to focus on, just like the Shu'al's nature is to back it, like to back out, to backtrack. So <coughs> let the Shu'al, I'm going to use this creature the Shual, in order to destroy, to take vengeance upon, to punish the Philistine people, the Yiframi Plishtim, Shechazru Bishwasan, and let the Shual be the means through which the Philistines will be punished, who backed out of their oath, of their treaty that we refer to at the top line of this Omid. You might notice that the Gemara continues with uh, topics, with stories regarding Shimshon, uh, explanations, etc. But uh, we've uh, spilled over a little bit on our uh, Daf Yomi uh, quota. With that, we conclude our Shior for today.